to the Habibis, three game developers drinking good Arab tea. I'm your host for this week, Osama Darius. And I'm Fauzi Mosmar. And I'm afraid I have some bad news for you here, Osama. Oh no, what's the bad news? <laughs> it's not three Habibis today either. Uh, what do you mean it's not three Habibis? It, it just always... stuck with me. It's always three Habibis, yes, but I mean yes. uh, on the episode, that is. Oh, who, who's well? I, I think I can figure out who's missing. If you're here, <laughs> you, have, you have two guests. <laughs> <And> I, <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure it's the Habibi cat. It's the Habibi cat. Indeed. The Habibi cat is missing. Yeah, Habibi cat uh, is missing. The giant three <laughs> meter high Habibi cat. <laughs> well, for all of you who are not regular listeners who might not actually know who's missing, I don't know how many of you are out there who <laughs> are jumping in on episode 39. But uh, unfortunately, we're missing our good friend Rami Ismail. Rami Ismail. Um, he tr- is, traveled to a, th- to a place and uh, got lost in time zone land. So <laughs> <laughs> now that, you know, like, you know, there's travel happening again, I, I have a feeling this is going to happen to all of us a lot. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think yeah. That we're going to have to like get more guest speakers to cover for whenever this happens, because all three of us before the pandemic were pretty heavy on traveling. I mean, yeah. no, no one, no one comes close to Rami. Let's face it, but still. Uh, so I think this is going to be a, a more of a regular thing. So we should like expand our roster a little bit to cover for it. I think we'll be fine. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually one of the the, the things that I was really uh, like curious about. I have not set foot on a, on a plane uh, since the beginning of the pandemic, ah. and. I think the first time I miss it. Like I, I didn't like it before. It's not travel <laughs> that I liked. It's being in the um, like getting to the destination that I liked. Right. I yeah. don't know how many people actually enjoy the travel, mm. but when you're missing a thing that you you got so used to that you associate with good things, you start missing it. And I really do miss it. Yeah, yeah. I miss uh, I miss the gaming events for sure, and like you know, because that gives us the opportunity to catch up with people from all over the world, get to see friends, hang out, talk about games. Yeah. So more of that, I miss a lot. I miss also like being on stage and doing talks. Oh yeah, with Absolutely. people in the room. You know, like yeah. I, I do a whole bunch of these um, Zoom call talks and stuff like that. Yeah. But it's it's not the same. The digital conferences, I, like I don't get to read the room as I'm doing I, the presentation, right? Like, and that that is something I really miss. Like when somebody gets something, I could see it in their eyes. Or when, when people don't get something, I could drive a point home. Or like when I when I say a joke, I can see if people are reacting to it or not. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Like, the, the joke part hurts the most because you're like, <laughs> should, should, should I keep going with this joke? Because a lot of jokes, yeah. it's the, like running gags, right? Yeah. You tell the first part and then you don't know if, it's, if it hits or not. You just like, uh, I, I don't like... The, the ones I like the least are the pre-recorded talks, the ones yeah. where you have to record them. Uh, when you give a live talk, you give yourself a lot of slack for for messing up a little bit here or there. Yeah, it of takes course. off a little bit of the pressure. And like you said, there's a little bit of feedback, a little yeah. bit. You could oh, there's the, the chat. chat. I yeah, usually ask for people to interact in the chat so like I can at least get some kind of reaction. And I'll be like joking around with the people in the chat or something like this. So it feels more like a back and forth. But if I'm like pre-recording something. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of like need to joke to myself almost, so to, to kind of like enjoy uh, like enjoy the ride for what it is. Right? It's kind of like when I was recording the Sahur bites. Yes, <laughs> um, I guess all these uh, digital conferences kind of like prepared me to do a single person podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I can now I talk to you. the ether for like forty minutes and laugh at my <laughs> own jokes because I need to be as one man show. <laughs> I hear you. Though I, I guess the only part of traveling I don't miss is the random checks that weren't really random. Yeah. <laughs> well, like the, that, that's because you know they removed the randomness part of it, so they're no longer <laughs> they're no longer fun. No, exactly. You, you know, it's coming. There's no surprise. <laughs> no surprise. You like you like the random checks to surprise you, but like, oh, exactly. I, haven't, I haven't been random checked in a while. That's <laughs> nice and refreshing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but I mean, I'm still uh, like I'm still hoping that my first plane trip is going to be GDC next year in 2022. I don't have. Any is it happening on the same time next year? Uh, I, I believe it it's the yeah, it's March 20th this time. So it's a little like because it fluctuates. It's either yeah. beginning, middle, or end of March. I believe this time it's at the end of March. 
Um, so I'm really hoping that COVID gets under control and we don't get another uh, variant or whatever could happen. No, we're done with variants. I'm I done. really hope so. I really hope so. Fuzzy, <laughs> yeah. I'm done too. I'm done with variants. I can't I just, take it no more. I just hope the variants are done with us. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, you yeah. know, like my birthday is in March. So, um, like, so is mine. My birthday is March 16th. What is yours? Mine, mine's March 27th. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. So, like, you know, my birthday almost always um, comes around GDC. Yes, so is mine. Mine is usually the, the last day or the day after. Mine or... is usually, like, the day before. So <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. So, like, for me, like, uh, you know, before the pandemic, the 12 years prior to the pandemic, I never missed a GDC. Yeah. <laughs> and like for me, my birthday is always celebrating with my friends and game devs from all over the world because they have to gather in that one place for GDC anyway. Absolutely. So I end Absolutely. up having like a massive party every year. Oh, that's <laughs> so incredible. I for, miss for, that. We should do, for, do a, a joint Habibi's birthday. Oh, I am so down. <laughs> I am so down for that. We we can like, you know, together hold a knife and cut the cake. <laughs> <laughs> Hire a photographer to capture the moment. Hire a right? photographer. Like, Habibi's birthday. We have, we have a picture of us, like one of the fan art that we get on the cake. <laughs> I love it. It has to be a tea party just to keep it consistent. You know that, that right? yeah. It's a 100% halal party. <laughs> halal tea party. <laughs> you know, this is happening. You know that. I, I, do you have any plans of, of going to GDC this year? I do now. Okay, let's do it. Happy BT party coming up. <laughs> I'll tell you, man. Like, if if the travel restrictions and all of that is off, I will not miss a GDC again. Like, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, I, I guess, like, you know, if they ever move it or something, it's it's not where it is specifically. It's not that it's in San Francisco or anything like that. It's yeah. because it is the conference in which everybody yes. gathers to. I think the closest second to me would be Gamescom. Yeah, I've never um, been Gamescom to Gamescom. Is actually, getting like that. you've never been. No. Uh, I, it's yeah. been on my bucket list forever cool i mean like in in europe it's like that like um, yeah. you know like how because uh gdc in san francisco all the developers in north america they're kind of like yeah it's not that far so i might as well do the trip yeah gamescom is kind of like that for like the european developers okay that makes sense yeah so uh, but but i also like i get to see a lot of the middle eastern developers too yeah, that yeah. makes sense too. The location is much, much closer. Exactly. It's, it's much closer to them. So like I get to see like, you know, my friends who still do game dev in like Jordan or other areas in the region. I yeah. usually run into them in Cologne. And Cologne is an amazing city and I love it. So uh, yeah, so hopefully next year we'll do both. Inshallah. Uh, Wait, so Gamescom is, is less of a developer conference and more of a game, like, like it's like PAX, right? Or did I get it wrong? It's more like E3, I would say. But oh, okay. um uh, games uh, games come come like in two parts. There's there's developer days and then there's public days. I see. Uh, I see. And in developer days, um, it's like a massive. Uh, the, uh, I was gonna say Makohari. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the the Cologne Messe is uh, is a giant conference hall and it has a lot of areas to do business. So actually, like the the business days, you get like you get to see all the exhibitions, of course. And they're, they're like E3-sized, uh, I think now probably much larger Gamescom, you know, mm-hmm. like showcases of giant TVs and like, um, you know, the whole fizzazz. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, but there's like a lot of like meeting room areas and stuff like that. So you can actually do business and talk uh, and talk shop and that kind of stuff. Wow. And uh, with the business, there's usually another event called DevCom, which is, you know, uh, talks and uh, conferences that just for developers for developers but really you know cool. similar to the talking game show and to e3 now <laughs> yeah after all the dev stuff are done they open it to the public and that's usually when i run away like that's when i leave town <laughs> yes yes <laughs> because so, like i don't know hundreds of thousands of people i don't know maybe i'm exaggerating but a lot of people like yeah. they come to the city and they flood the the show floors a hundred percent. I've been to several conferences that are set up that way. Like we have uh, Mega Migs in Montreal as well that are set up the same way. We have three dev days and three, uh, um, like what do you call it? open days, I guess. Yeah. Dev days usually happen during the day of the week. So you skip work to go do it. It's awesome. Yeah. It is work, Sam. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. I, I'm sorry to insinuate otherwise. Of course it's work. I'm a, it's a different kind of work, <laughs> right? 
Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I've, I've gone to the one in Toronto as well that set it up the same way. And same thing. As soon as they open up the floodgates, at that point, I've seen my friends. I'm, I'm tired. It's been a few days. I've, I've yeah. listened to talks. I've, you know, I've benefited from it. Uh, and I just disappear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, mean, I think like, that's kind of common. And the games come even during the dev days. You can actually get to play some games as well. Yeah. Let they be on the show floor, and yeah, because there's not that many queues. Everybody yeah. there's kind of developers, and you can get in and play some games. And like also, like you can catch up with your friends who are like working the booth or something like that. But when it's when it's public days, the lines go on for days. You know? Yeah, this this is like no point. <laughs> a Tokyo Game Show was the same. I don't know if you've ever made it over there. No, no, I've never gone either. I have yeah, a, a long Game list show. of con, cons that are on my bucket list that I've never yeah. been to. I feel like, you know, there was an era in which, like, Tokyo Game Show was, like, the show. Yeah. Um, like, it's still a pretty big show in Asia. But I feel like uh, it kind of uh, shrunk a bit. Okay. Since its heyday. I think, like, you know, for, from the late 90s till the mid-2000s. Why do you think that happened? It was huge. Um, I think uh, it... Um, how do I say? Uh, how do I think? Like there was a period of time, especially during the PS3 uh, era, uh, in which like Japanese development was kind of struggling and making the transition to HD development. Okay. Kind of like you go with PS2 games and stuff like that, and then moving out to teams of 300 and 400 people. Yeah. Uh, a lot of a lot of studios struggled with developing their own tech to kind of match that. I see. So like you know during the PS3 era there was. Uh, there was, you know, significant output of Japanese companies still, of course, mm-hmm. but uh, they had a hard time. Mm-hmm. And then, like, um, with PS4 onward era, uh, they started adapting a lot more modern tech and Unreal 4, okay. Unreal, Unreal Engine and that kind of stuff. So, like, a lot a lot more solutions became available and the kind of, like, the industry um, started uh, moving up a bit. But the, the other thing is that what happened in Japan, uh, more concretely, is that uh, traditional console sales uh, have been declining? Okay. So, like the since the PS3 era, so like the PS2 was kind of like the peak uh, with the Wii, of course. If you add that, mm-hmm. total of number of units sold in Japan, mm-hmm. and then from the PS3 to PS4 onwards, you know, the number of household Japanese households that have consoles have been significantly dropping. Yes, I remember uh, reading about this where like they became more of a I, I don't want to say mobile, portable a more portable market. Definitely right? portable. Yeah. Uh, it's a commute a computer commuter society. So like you know, portable has always been huge. Yes, uh, but also mobile gaming has took off. Yes, and and never really like uh, slowed down. So like you know, mobile gaming in Japan is huge uh, compared to the population. For example, like uh, there was a period of time which like mobile gaming in Japan brought revenue that could rival the u.s wow wow um, yeah so it's like it was uh, mobile gaming in japan is huge and then like portable gaming still huge but traditional gaming was started to take a back seat so traditional AAA development started to focus more towards the west mm-hmm. more than just the local market there was a period of time which japanese developers were like we'll just make for the local market and then uh, there were even some games that never even made it outside of japan you know, the, yeah. the local yeah, market was that. the main focus and then people were expanding overseas. I remember I used to mod my consoles just so I could play those games that didn't make it. Like <laughs> yeah, the, most, the most recent one of those was the, the fighting game, Tatsunoko versus Capcom. Oh, exactly. Yeah, that's a yeah. good example. And then they ended up releasing it in North America. And I was so upset that I modded my console to play it. That was literally <laughs> the only game I modded my console for. Literally. Wow. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> Hardcore. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> fighting games. Yeah, fair, fair. But yeah, yeah I mean, like since then, the kind of um, um, the focus, like you know, the, the Japanese development focus towards the West has been successful. Marketing of a lot of like Japanese IPs towards the West have become successful. So, like games that traditionally you would have thought that would wouldn't have had a market in the West, like Yakuza, has yes. found the market. You know, and yeah. it's been growing. So they're like, okay, let's now. Uh, remaster all of these games and <laughs> translate <laughs> them and, and release them out in the West and yeah that kind of approach so it's uh, it's just interesting to see like the the change and I guess the change also like happened in the Japanese market also with a with a heavy decline in the arcade business yeah 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 absolutely. because the arcade business was also quite 
quite thriving, I would say, 90s to early 2000s. The arcade business in Japan was still going strong, even though it was kind of dying out everywhere else in the world. Mm-hmm. But also, like, around the same time, they got, like, you know, the teams were adapting to HD gameplay. The the market size of uh, Japanese consoles were dropping. Mobile gaming was on the rise. So all of these things kind of led to a pandemic shift, let's say, in like the Japanese <laughs> game development scene. And obviously, Tokyo Game Show adapted to it. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. That, it's actually, you, you reminded me suddenly of a memory I had. Um, yeah. I was, so I'd lived in arcades when I was like, 13, 14 years old. Oh, yeah. No no kidding. I spent a ridic- ridiculous amount of time in arcades. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Montreal, in downtown Montreal, there were you could not turn a corner without finding three arcades. They were everywhere. Everywhere. Mm-hmm. everywhere. Um, but there was one in particular that I really, really liked. liked. All it was called is Amusement. It was called Entertainment. Like, I don't know what the legal name is, but it just had one big <laughs> sign that said Amusement. That's it. So everyone called it Amusement. Um, then when I started working in the industry, uh, I was with my friend, uh, Hugo, who's a Brazilian mm-hmm. artist, um, great guy. And we were walking downtown Montreal. I wanted to show him like, you know, the, 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 the city and, um, the amusement arcade was the only one that had survived at that point from, from my childhood. Mm-hmm. And the shot, I walked in with Hugo yeah. and I recognized the person who owned it. Like, who Oh, wow. There. It's still and there. I don't know his name. He doesn't know my name, but he said, Hey, I remember you. Like it was wow, like that's crazy. 20 years that passed. And he said, <laughs> how's your father doing with his stories? Cause my dad had stories. He remembered details about me. Wow. I got emotional and I was like teary, like right wow, in front of him that. with you. He goes yeah. like, what's going on here? I like, it's, it, this is a, like, it was a big part of my life. Well, you spent a lot of time there, it sounds. <laughs> yes. Oh, a, a ridiculous amount of time. And I chatted the guy up a lot. It's just, yeah. you know, this this is that's what you do. You go there, you make friends, and they're the people yeah. who you like to play with. And obviously the people you don't <laughs> like to play with, that, that that's yeah. their do, where it's like, ah, oh, they're hogging the, the Street Fighter 3 machine. Let's go play Alpha, that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, but like you, it, it, there's a culture that exists in those arcades that are different from one arcade to the next. And like we used to go arcade hopping like a, as, a, as a group, right? We used yeah. to go to, and some people were like some arcades had groups that were better at some games than others, and all that is is kind of lost now that the. It's sad. Like, I, it's not that I want to return to it. It's the, that would be artificial, and it wouldn't be the same anyway. Yeah, but it's, it's more a like product of its time. Exactly. But that's that's something that people will, will I don't think will ever experience again. I don't see how they could. Where yeah. you actually had like these groups that were part of a, a thing moving on and bringing a little bit of what they had elsewhere. Like how do you how do you replicate that when <laughs> everything is online and you have access to everything all the time? You know, like um, in in Jordan, I found that being replicated in the modern era with like you know a type of establishment in which like um, yeah, I th- I'm not sure if I mentioned it on the show before, uh, but you can rent by the hour an amount yes. of time that you spend with the console, mm-hmm. right? And like it's a group of so like you rent the, the you go to the shop that has like 15 TV screens and under each one of these TVs there's a console and you go like I want to play FIFA on screen 11. Hmm. for two hours and then like you get the couch you get four controllers and you're playing fifa with three other friends and then you can order food and shisha whatever mm-hmm. and then like that that place will have their champions and then we we'll, yes. we'll start to find other places around town that have their champions and then we'll all fight against each other i think i told that story before so that's yes. like the closest Great replication story. that i found to the arcade days uh, but you know like for me the arcade in jordan was also quite popular so growing up i had very similar experiences to what you're saying like i spent a lot of time in that arcade my dad hated the idea of me going to the arcade because for him yeah. it was like this dark uh place where all the teenagers hang out and do drugs i was like <laughs> that nobody's doing drugs in the arcade like yes and they smoke cigarettes and the place reeks. so like yes true everybody's smoking cigarettes yeah. but it, like for him it felt like you know the arcade was me going into a nightclub or something. Yeah. I was like, just, this, most of the time it wasn't. It was just like teenagers for the most part, lots of kids. <laughs> <laughs> and we just hang out and we playing fighting games all the time. And I used to love like, you know, Street Fighter. I grew up playing Street Fighter, Street Fighter 2 on the arcades. Yeah. All the way to Alpha and 3. I think uh, you and I have very similar uh, experiences there. Like, a, But, you know, put a nickel and I'm, like, you know, uh, yeah, exactly. play, playing with that nickel here. all day long. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, I wasn't that good. <clears throat> Excuse me. I wasn't good enough to play with a nickel all day long, but you know, I I, I tried. I, I I have memory. Like I spent too much money in the arcades. My dad used to complain. I me- I remember the first time uh, one of the Street Fighters. I'm pretty sure Street Fighter Alpha Three came out. Um, I like that day. I spent like thirty dollars in, in the arcades. Like, <laughs> just you know, because we, we were experimenting. We wanted to try new, different characters. Everybody yeah. was a, a equal equal level, and it was the excitement, the hype around a new machine, a new game, a new fighting yeah. game. You know, so like you're, it's it's incredible. It's it's palpable. Uh, yeah. My dad actually owned a store next to an arcade, so I think that ah. made it a little bit easy for him to know what it's about. Like literally next door, um, uh, so you walked in once in a while. He saw me and what I was doing, and it was there was nothing scary there. But I'm sure he would have <laughs> been much more scared. Um, the only thing he he made sure he's like, but you're not going to play those. And he pointed at they have uh, lottery machines. Yeah. So when I was like, no, those aren't fun. I have no interest in those. Yeah, like, <laughs> they're not fun at all. <laughs> they're not fun. I had zero. And he saw it on my face. So he's like, okay, I'm not worried. As long as it doesn't <laughs> become a gambling habit, I'm totally okay. You can have fun with your geeky friends. <laughs> you Is know? that how you developed your love for video games? Is it yes. because you used to go with your dad to the shop and then you just <laughs> wander into the arcade? I think that was, I remember the first time I played a video game period and fell in love with it. And it wasn't that, but like when I actually uh, like fell in love, yeah, the arcades were a huge part of that. The first time I played a video game is when we were in the Arab Emirates and we went over to like cousin's house, but like I used quotations with cousins. It's like very, Mm -hmm. very, very close family friends. Yeah. Uh, or we're practically, and we're related somehow, but like not exactly cousins. <laughs> uh, they had an, a, an Atari, and they had a game that, for the majority of my life, I didn't know what it was called. I just remembered what it looked like, and it was a game with tanks where you shoot pellets and they bounce off the walls. Yeah. And my mind was blown. I'm like, I can interact with the TV, the moving images. I can make them move. And I was like maybe three or four years old, and I was asking for an Atari from that day on like forever uh the game is called combat so yeah mm-hmm. i'm a little old <laughs> it's, if you look at it now you're like what that yes it was that um uh, but like i've i've pestered and uh bothered my parents for a console for a computer it's eventually i wanted a nintendo because that was a hot thing everyone wanted a nintendo yeah um, and my dad went and bought me a nintendo that turned out to be a sega master system i still <laughs> fell in love with it it was still yeah. a great console and i got my nintendo later but the, the, those were my formative years. <clears throat> yeah, the arcades. Uh, it's when I started working with my dad when I was pretty young. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know how how common it is for other people, but for me, it was like you know when when I was young enough, I used to go and like broom the floor uh, and make seven dollars a day or something like that. And those seven dollars would go to either comics <laughs> or <laughs> arcades. So like I was like maybe eleven when I set foot in my first arcade. It was next door, and it was. Um, you were it was just next door to the store and i stood like you know it's like it's so attractive to kids flashing lights sounds yeah. all these colors all How the could sounds you not want coming to? out of yeah them. exactly so of course it's like i really wanted to be there and I, I spent my breaks there i spent before starting my shift there i was eager to go to work because it was right next door and there was another comic book store not too far away called one million comics and i mm-hmm. like also go there and pick up uh comic books that like yeah, I was huge on entertainment. So it's yeah. I can't point out one thing. I, I was in love with it the first time I saw it, and that love never stopped. It just <laughs> kept growing. Yeah, it sounds like, you know, like around your dad's shop, there was all these kinds of um, childhood um, infatuations yeah. that you were still maintaining. It was downtown, right? So yeah. all the fun things are downtown. <laughs> That's yeah. super cool. Absolutely. That's super cool. Yeah, so I, about, you know, how, every now and then I like reminisce with the arcades. Uh, yes. There's like, you know, a couple of barcades here in Stockholm, like in most cities, really. You go in and you play a bunch of games. But like, you know, like you said, you can't replicate no. that point in time anymore, especially when you're like, you can play a lot of the games on the arcades on your phone even. Yes, <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah, but there, there was a magical time about that. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I, and anyway, it's all good. Like I'm not saying, hey, all y'all are missing out, but you really are. <laughs> it was something really special about that. But it's yeah. okay. There's special things about what we're doing now. So exactly. Every every different. time has its um, has its beauty. Exactly. So say. exactly. Have you played any modern video games though? <laughs> Maybe we should segue into that. Yes, actually. Um, are you doing I... it again, man? Calling out my segues. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> 
I'm going to stop doing that. But I'm just impressed <laughs> no, by them. They're so no, good. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> Effortless. I, I, I welcome the compliments. <laughs> um, okay, where do we start? How about we start with um, the Outer Wilds DLC? Oh, yeah. Tell me about that. So I don't know if I've mentioned this uh, before, but I played Outer Wilds a little bit late. I played it, I believe it was at the beginning of this year, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I, I had missed it when it first came out. I looked at screenshots wasn't too impressed someone described it also wasn't impressed tried the game and it blew my mind it's mm-hmm. possibly one of my favorite games of all time i, I really wow. think it is um the the mo there are moments in that game like the whole game is a tutorial like i know i know i'm selling it really badly but the whole game is a tutorial <laughs> to a thing and when a very subtle slow clever incredible tutorial to a thing that you you have to understand in the game to progress and the moment where that thing clicks was one of my all-time favorite gaming moments uh, in my life. It's I'm never going to forget it. The moment wow. where I'm like, I figured this out because of everything that you laid in front of me, and there was no handholding. I like that was it's exploration as a reward. It's knowledge as a reward, unlike any other I've seen before. So like it, it's that moment that that I love. I loved a lot of things about it. There's constant discovery. But that mm-hmm. specific moment where you just everything comes together and you're like, I get it, was incredible. It was wow. incredible. I, I don't think I've, I'll, I have never, definitely never experienced it in video games before. And I don't think I'll ever experience it in video games again. And that's why when the, the Outer Wild DLC was announced, mm-hmm. I was like cautiously optimistic and worried and nervous and all the things at the same time. Because to me, other than the controls, the flight controls weren't great. Other than that, it was the perfect game. You know, it didn't announce to you, welcome. It had a lot of places to explore. I, I really love the Outer Wilds. I, I realize now that I didn't really explain what the game is. So for anyone listening <laughs> who doesn't know the game, they're like, what is it? Um, it's basically a, a space exploration game uh, where after like the first 20 minute um, loop, and yeah, it loops in, in a similar way to, to Deathloop. Um, <laughs> Where if you die, you start over again, except you can't, the only thing you keep is the knowledge that you got from the first trip um, or the, the previous trips. And there are a lot of planets and they behave in very weird ways. And this, this uh, mystery about um, a, an ancient civilization that came to your solar system and died out and why they died out. And, and it ends, like you figured this out really quickly, the loop ends in a, in a, in a giant explosion, right? Mm-hmm. And you're trying to figure out maybe how to stop it or maybe why it's happening. You're not sure. You're trying to figure out what you're trying to figure out at the same time. So anything I say more than this is probably going to delve into spoiler territory. And I would not spoil this game. This game is one that must be explored. Um, so let's talk about the DLC. Yes. I didn't finish it yet. I I, I put in a good uh, two or three hours. I, I, I'm pretty far. I think I'm at the point where I just have to figure out one puzzle and then I, I, I can wrap it up. I'm pretty sure that's where I am, but I could be surprised. Maybe there's more. Uh, the DLC I, I, is really good so far. What I really like about it is it doesn't feel like a DLC. It feels like I might, like this. It would not have been a stretch for me to say, for someone to tell me, oh, did you go to such and such place? What? No, I didn't know that place existed in the original game. And then I boot it up and I go to that place and I'm like, oh, wow. Like it felt like it was woven from the same cloth, right? It, like it had a similar sense of, of discovery and mystery. It, it felt like it belonged mm. um, in the world, which I really absolutely love. So However, how do you, it, sorry. How do, you, how do you access it? So they added a structure on the main, on the, on, Earth, or hearth, sorry, that's how they yeah. call it in the game. They added a structure that's a radio tower. And when you go to the radio tower, like without, again, spoiling it, it mm-hmm. tells you pretty much, it gives you a clue where to go next. You mm-hmm. just follow that clue and with, with your spaceship, and then you're, you're able to find a thing that's going to, to start that adventure. Uh, so that radio tower thing, if no one tells you that how to start the DLC, you, like you, 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 you won't know. I actually had to Google it. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I was like, okay, how do you start this thing? I'm, I'm not going to start flying all around space <laughs> <laughs> to see what's new in in, yeah. a, in a in a galaxy. So I just I just wanted that first initial push to to what, where to go. Mm-hmm. And then he said, oh, there's a radio tower on Earth. So I just flew around the planet, found the radio tower, and that was enough to 
you know, to propel you forward. And then it's a small one mystery after the next. Like, what, do, like, what, what does this mean? How, how does this connect? Uh, and then you end, end, end up in a brand new, completely new location that feels like it belongs in the world of Outer Wilds. Like, it feels like it could have been just another location from the many that you've already experienced before. Uh, it has different rules. It has a new mystery. And I haven't solved it yet. I'm like oh. I'm not not at the point to tell you it was worth it, but I am at the point to tell you that the the going through it has been the same feelings as I had with the Outer Wilds uh, playing at the original time, minus that huge, you know, the the when everything clicks. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that means that it doesn't have it or it's coming later. Uh, but I I'm the difference is okay. This is going to sound like a funny analogy, but you've watched The Sixth Sense, right? Yes. The big twist in The Sixth Sense, nobody saw coming. And it's one of the biggest reasons that Sixth Sense did so well. It's because yeah. it shocked everyone, right? Yeah, that's true. Every other movie that tried to do a big twist after, even if the twists were good, especially mm-hmm. the, the years preceding it, because everyone anticipated that robbed it of, of its magic, right? Yeah. And that's why how I feel a little bit. That's why I was a little apprehensive about just there being an Outer Wilds DLC. I knew I was going to get it day one. I knew I was going <laughs> to jump into it right away. I love the game like crazy, and I was looking for any excuse to come back to the universe. But like, they can't do the same thing again. That's not going to work a second time. Yeah. The magic was I didn't see that coming. I did not know I was playing this huge tutorial to like try to figure out a thing. I did not know what I was trying to figure out, and when it clicked together, that was incredible. So now I'm like. I'm play, half playing it, trying to figure out what they're doing, and mm-hmm. in, in, in like from a game dev point of view, what, what they're doing. How are like what, what were their intentions? How were they going going to wow us again? And that's not the that's not the same experience. You know what I mean? I, I'm not yeah. expecting it to be as good as a game. To be honest, it's already what I wanted. I just wanted to come back to the world and like we like hear the same music again, like and exist in that world again. And it's giving me that. And it's actually clever. The, the new location is pretty cool and special and different. Um, but yeah, so that's so they build on like the prior knowledge that you've had from the previous game in the DLC. Uh, mostly not, not. It uh-huh. almost feels like um, okay. So there's two things. One is uh, in the in the previous one. Do you remember you're, you're able to send out probes? Mm-hmm. So you need to know that, like, and that's something you can figure out by yourself uh, either when you play the game or they'll tutorialize it a little bit. Yeah, and then everything else is like new mechanics that they introduce that they feel like they they fit, but they're still new mechanics. Yeah. So yeah, it's not it's it's not it's not building so much on the knowledge of before. It's actually trying something a little bit different. I guess I it's a good thing in a way, right? Yeah, that sounds cool actually. Yeah. But cool, uh, yeah, so that was that was the first game. Yeah. Um, what else did I? I okay, I moved. I'm, I'm not gonna talk about it much, but I moved the needle a little bit on Deathloop. Uh-huh. And um, I don't think I'm actually going to finish it, and I'm a little sad about that. So Deathloop mm-hmm. is, was my probably my most anticipated game of this year. Yeah. I loved the aesthetic. I was watching the trailers closely, and I don't know what happened. Sometimes it just doesn't land. I I started playing it, and I there was nothing, you know, no no, com, no compulsion to come back and like play more. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it was just a sometimes I, I think I had a very busy week the first week that it came out. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't pick up momentum, um, and I don't know. I think that that might be it. But now, like I, I, I defeated the first. Uh, how do you say this without spoiling? There's there's a series of objectives that you have to accomplish, and I comp- accomplished one of the first objectives, and I know of the existence of the others, and that should be enough to like bring me so I could discover what they are. And I'm kind of like, yeah, mildly interested. So I'm sad. I'm actually debating whether I should just, you know leave it for now, come back and start it fresh when I'm in a, in, in a better mm. mind space for it. Or if I should just, you know, keep pushing through and seeing if, uh, uh, if that's going to connect better. I don't know. Uh, yeah, either I, way. Can, I could completely understand what you're talking about. Rami and I were talking about the similar thing last week. So maybe you can probably relate to what we're saying. And we've seen all the objectives as you called them. Yeah. Um, and we still like, you know, at the end of it also felt very similar to what you're saying. And it's like, yeah. you know, very hard to co- go back and play it. So like the, this week I wanted to go back and play it, but I ended up just going back and playing something else entirely. Oh, what'd you play? Uh, ah, I ended up playing um, Sable on Xbox. Ooh, I played that too. 
Oh, did you? Oh, cool. So yeah. we can we can have a, a chat about this. It's Excellent. a it's it's a very interesting looking game. Like you know, it caught my attention at first because of its um, exquisite visuals, if yes. I may say so. Yes, uh, they have a very unique visual identity, and like, um, I guess playing it, it it get, it has a lot of a Breath of the Wild kind of feel to it. It's I feel like that the developers are clearly inspired by that game. There's mm-hmm. It's an open world exploration game. There's like this cartoony feel to it. There's, you know, lively characters that have, um, you know, inspiration from Breath of the Wild as well. I feel in like how the villages are structured and how you can get quests by talking to people. Absolutely. There's the there's the mechanic that you can climb everything like like Breath of the Wild as well. There's mounts that help you travel the world. Uh, you can kind of go everywhere from the beginning, really, but um, you kind of want to follow the story thread because it threads things throughout. Mm-hmm. Um, also takes a uh, book from Breath of the Wild, open world design, by that you can put your own markers at some point of where you should be. So you talk to a yep. character, tell you, I need these three things, and then you put your markers of where you're supposed to go, and then you're out you go, and you try to collect them. Absolutely. So I found it to be very impressive, uh, to be because it's an independent studio that built this game. I'm, I don't know the team necessarily. I think their name is Shedworks, um, mm-hmm. but I know that they're published by Raw Fear. Have a bunch of friends over there, so like they mostly work with like independent developers of varying sizes, but mostly medium to small. Mm-hmm. So to see like a developer like that pull pull this pretty, so, yeah. like you know, it's like a decent right? scope. Yeah together is pretty cool the visual identity i liked quite a bit and i you know like there's there's a small mechanic in this game that i I actually quite uh liked okay um there's like you know the objective markers in video games i think it feel like it's been it's been a struggle not a struggle but like every game tried to tackle it differently yes some put the quest marker on the map some put it on the compass yeah uh in Ghost of Tsushima, the wind guides you to the objective marker. In some games, that. it just draws an arrow on the floor for you. So I feel like as developers, we've always been trying to tackle how can we let you guide you towards the objective without having you play on the map the entire yep. time. You know? Exactly. So what we want you to look at the game world, not to be looking at the map. You know, like the older GTA games had that in which you just, when you're driving, you're just looking at the map because that's guiding you to the objective. <laughs> you're barely looking at the game world. And since then, I think a lot of game design has been trying to go away from this. And in this game, they have this uh, mechanic in which like you hold uh, the shoulder button and it creates like a, a, a almost like a halo around you. Mm-hmm. And on that halo, there's the objective markers. So yes. as you walk, you can see if you're walking in the right direction or not. I thought that was pretty neat. It's really neat too. And if you look carefully at the character, the character pulls out a compass when you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah, which I thought was really cool as That's well. That's pretty cool. Yeah, because it doesn't take you away from like the game. Like You actually yeah. have that connection with the character as well when you have the compass. And it worked really well. The only yeah. thing that didn't always work great and I thought it was okay is it didn't take into consideration verticality which is fine I wouldn't do it necessarily that way anyway with a compass it doesn't really make sense Mm -hmm. but there was a little bit of I don't get it it's supposed to be right in front of me oh I see it's right on top of me a lot on top of you or something like yeah I guess like there's things that you can do with that as well like like the icon could have um, things around it to indicate verticality exactly But yeah. the, like it's a it's an it's a cool little mechanic, I guess that uh, that can be iterated on and developed better. Absolutely. There's also a button where you could just sit. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's pretty that cool. Was an innovation. Yeah. 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 I mean, so I, Ghost of Tsushima had one where you could kneel. I think like pray, which yeah, is that's close. Right. But that's otherwise, right. I I haven't seen one that didn't have a function. Even in um, uh, I think in Assassin's Creed Valhalla, it past the time or something mm-hmm. like that. Usually That's it right. has some other secondary function. <laughs> uh, Metal Gear, you smoke the cigarette. Yes. Past the time. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I actually, I, I liked it visually. I have to say it was a little off-putting at the beginning because it felt like the animation skipped frames. Yeah. And um, it, I think it's us, deliberate. It, it's definitely deliberate. It's artistic. And I you get used to it fast. Yeah. And then absolutely gives it a little bit of a, more of that visual identity that you're talking about. So it's yeah. not a bad thing. But for yeah. a second, I'm like, am I am I stuttering? Yeah. Is this lag? 
It's mm-hmm. like a Spider-Verse style yes, animation. Exactly. Uh what I think the the, the reason is I I thought I think there were a few a handful of uh, optimization issues with the game. There are a few assets in the world that if you look at them, the game itself stutters a bit. Um mm. I'm sure you you're, you've encountered that in game development during like while working yeah. on the game. So you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yep. So I think like when I started the game, you know, I do the usual thing I do. I walk around, I press every button and I see what it does, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, while turning around the stuttering of the arms and the stuttering of the of the uh world as I was moving, I actually wasn't sure if it was for a second. I wasn't sure if it was deliberate or not. And then when I got over it, I'm like, "Oh, okay, I see." Um the game is there's a lot of bike riding that part mm-hmm. I thought was pretty cool and pretty fun as well. Yeah. Um the characters had Arabic sounding names. Yeah. Yeah. There was Hilal, was like I think. Hilal and Dries, which is <laughs> Idris, like yeah, Idris, right. yeah. Um which was really, really cool, especially because the aesthetic was um I mean it could have been North African too, like especially the Dries with yeah. the with the dropped Idris at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, but I thought that was really, really cool. Uh, both are Arabic uh, words, though. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just really like. I like that. I like being in in the world. Um, I, d- I don't think it gave me enough to do personally. Like I, yeah. uh, but that's like a personal opinion. Otherwise, I think it was a, a very valiant effort. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I thought that it can get a bit buggy sometimes. That was yeah. like one of my gripes with the game, like. Um, landing on a platform was sometimes imp- uh, unpredictable. Yeah. The climbing itself did not work on all surfaces. It's a it's a tough thing to pull off anyway. I mean, like Nintendo managed to pull it off, but uh, uh, it's 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 tough to pull off. And I think sometimes yeah. it works against the game uh, because it, it gets a bit buggy in, in all sorts of different ways. So yeah. that there was one of my small comments on the game the other comment is that while i like the visual identity i thought the night mode just did not work for me yeah, yeah. like when the world is during there's a day night cycle and like the the shaders kind of get affected with the night time and like how the game is visually during the night is just sometimes illegible yeah i and think that, that that was intentional because nighttime is illegible but it yeah doesn't visually appealing compared to the daytime exactly so it made it yeah i was like i'll just wait for the daytime because it's not cool to play through the night always yeah but it's uh like i said for a small team pretty solid game also this is not breath of the wild size in terms of like how much how much time you need to finish it's like a small little game that you can enjoy so absolutely Uh, I, I thought there was one stylistic uh, thing that I would have that I thought was odd as well. Like so, some of the choices of colors were a little off to me. Like you know when you're gliding and you have like this red orb that's around you. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't feel that really meshed with what I was doing. I didn't understand why it was an orb or why it was red. It felt more like I was shielding from damage or <laughs> something. Yeah. But anyway, that's a lot of those are just like we were used to a, a certain visual language from. Uh, games and it yeah. broke those and that's not necessarily bad but like at the same time I didn't understand the intentionality behind the, the choices that they were making sometimes so it could have been just a dev team uh, trying things uh, yeah you know. it's always cool you know and yeah. to, to try something else sometimes it lands sometimes it doesn't exactly <laughs> so uh, do we have any other games to talk about uh, let me see um, uh, there's this other game I started playing but I want to talk about that next week I started talk, uh, playing Imposter Factory but uh, I want to talk about that next week, so let me finish it first. Okay, so uh, let's do that for next week. And how about we jump to my favorite segment of our podcast? Oh, my God. I can't believe it. It's, <laughs> it's happening. It's happening. It's happening. We are going to read your emails, emails. on the air. <laughs> Send us emails to info at thehabibis.com. That is info at thehabibis.com. Yes. Do you see how happy this made Osama? Oh my God, I am jumping for joy. <laughs> like you'd think, you'd think you get enough emails a day. <laughs> I get way too many. I don't even want emails, but these emails bring me joy. <laughs> true that, true that. All right. So the first email I'm going to read to you is uh, by our reader. Uh, sorry, I don't know if it's pronounced Jose or Jose, but... Um, it's either Jose or Jose Rivera. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, th- th- he titled it Dinosaurs Are Rad, which is freaking awesome. <laughs> he had a question. And the question was, what specific teas do you all drink regularly? And uh, Rami's not here to answer his part, but we can do ours. Yeah. 
So, so. T- t- today, especially, I'm drinking coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a bit of a cheat. Yes. Um, I well, like, normally. With, yeah, what I, like, like? I like a lot of uh, Japanese teas. I like green tea. I like oolong tea. Mm-hmm. And I like uh, I like a particular brand of tea, like, um, uh, soba cha, uh, soba tea, oh. which is like made out of buckwheat. Wow, it's okay. buckwheat tea. I, I don't yeah. know what that is like. I gotta try it. Yeah, well, I'm gonna. Yeah, we could probably find it in a lot of Japanese restaurants. But if you ever come <laughs> over, I'll make you some some soba cha. Oh, I am looking and, forward uh, to that. Yeah, I mean, co- coming over in general, but also the tea. Yeah. <laughs> Jasmine tea is also pretty good. Absolutely. Yeah, oolong uh, tea is my favorite for sure. I, I I love all teas, and I I make it a point usually to experiment. But because the question is, what do we drink regularly? Uh, I'm afraid my answer is kind of a little bit boring. Uh, I have <laughs> black tea. Is it black tea? Yeah, it's pretty yeah. much. I have I have like two stable stable teas. I have orange pico, and I have when I want to treat myself, I have some Earl Grey. Uh, mm-hmm. But then I like I always get these like collections of like fancy teas or or what do you call them uh, like I, I, tisanes is that a word in English too or is that a French word I'm borrowing? I don't but know. you know like the the teas <laughs> that are not like I I love uh, rooibos uh, which is uh, not exactly a tea. There's no caffeine in it. It's more yeah. like leaves and and uh, looks like flower petals to me. I don't know what it ex- exactly is, but I love the taste of that. Um, I like uh, Assam breakfast. Like that. There, I have a whole bunch that I just like regularly. Just you know, when I get a change, uh, I go, I dip into. But my day to day is is usually orange pico or a little bit of Earl Grey. Sorry if that sounds boring, <laughs> but I drink a lot of tea. So you know. <laughs> they drink it with like five spoons of sugar. Actually, zero sugar. What? That, zero. That's the Arab style of drinking tea is always like yes. four to five spoons of sugar. Yes, and that's how I grew up drinking tea, and then yeah. eventually I I cut out the sugar completely, but I do put milk in my tea. I put yeah, a little bit. I of milk. I drink it no sugar, no milk, of course. Uh, yes, as well. But yeah, like um, but whenever I'm at the relative place, if they're if if they're serving the Arab style black tea in those yes. small little glasses, half of that glass needs to be sugar because otherwise <laughs> you can't drink it. It's exactly. too dark. It's, it is. <laughs> um, I, I uh, often see it sweetened, um, like, sorry, not see it, but my family I often sweetened it with honey. We really liked honey. Ooh, energy. fancy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so we have more mail. More mail. Send more us mail. emails at info at thehabibis.com. <laughs> Make Osama happy. <laughs> please, please. Can you feel my joy? Don't I you want me to be this happy all the time? Yes. <laughs> so this second email is by Adam last name A initial, um, where he's talking about, you know, when I mentioned Free Guy got game development wrong, and even though it was an otherwise a really good, funny movie, like, you know, graded on me. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he what he's, he's saying, and I'll, I'll read the part where he says, in summary, I'll, I won't read the whole email, just the summary part. He says, Space Jam 2 successfully navigates some of the emotional struggles of a game development story. There's a more <laughs> accurate portrayal than free guy and a good uh, and good about showing several real and plausible obstacles that indie developers might face. There are many efforts made to make the unrealistic Looney Tunes aspect of the movie differentiable from the realistic game development portrayal. Despite its young target audience, Space Jam 2 is a very accessible introduction to part of game dev and even captures some nuances found in very few movies. And okay, I watched Half of Space Jam 2, which should let you know that's what not I a good thing. <laughs> the movie, it's not a good thing when you're watching half a movie, half a movie, and that's yeah. rare for me. Usually, I finish movies, I, I even if I have to watch them in multiple sitting because I have kids and they don't always cooperate, but yeah. I usually finish my movies uh, and my books. But I, it's, I loved Space Jam, the original. Uh, I didn't, it didn't click for me for Space Jam 2. However, I 100% agree with Adam. The parts about game development, um, specifically the parts about the relationship between a game developer and their parents, yeah. uh, they rung true. Like, you know, basically in it, um, LeBron didn't want his son to be a game dev. He wanted his son to follow in his footsteps. In his case, it's to become the most famous basketball player um, Easy. In the world. <laughs> Easy. Like, you know, most parents would want you to be an engineer or a or, lawyer, and that's hard. He just wants yes. you to be one of the best basketball players of all time. I mean, like, <laughs> exactly. no pressure like, there. <laughs> 
even just the way that his son uh, was kind of like an indie dev and worked on his game and coded things in and modeled them himself and all that stuff. Um, it felt like the scope of the game he was making made sense for a single developer. Um, maybe exaggerated just a little bit, but not to the point of Free Guy, where you know two people making an AI that you know they became aware <laughs> and infected <laughs> another game and has a physical location in that game tied to a specific server, like those kind of things that I just like I gave I kept giving it passes till I couldn't give it passes anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I still recommend Free Guy as as if you're able to. You know, if you don't care about that stuff or if you're able to put it aside, it was still a funny movie. Um, I can't, even though I, I agree with his points, I can't recommend Space Jam 2. I know a few people liked it, so try it anyway, but it's just not mm-hmm. my cup of tea. I, yeah, I didn't watch it. So I, I, I can't confirm or deny if this story is true. Yeah, sorry. It's all good. Now <laughs> you have to watch it. That's your homework. Come back and tell us. <laughs> I have to watch it. <laughs> have to watch how LeBron James is doing parental pressure on his son. <laughs> <laughs> It'll bring back trauma, right? (laughs) What do you mean, game dev? Get a real job, like a basketball player. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny. (laughs) Um, I I think that's it. I think we ran the gauntlet. Uh, Is this a good time to end it? Go for it, man. All right. All right. So uh, as per tradition, please send us your emails at info at diabetes.com. And thank you very much for tuning in. And Rami, we miss you very much. And yep. you better not miss any more of these because it's not the same dynamic. With three that. for three now. We've had yes. uh, three, uh, two Habibi episodes. Yes, absolutely. And hopefully it'll be the last ones. Cause, yeah. you, know. <laughs> you never know. You never, you know. never know. All right, folks. Salam. Salam. That was the Habibis podcast for this week. I'm Osama Dorias, your host for this episode. You can find me on Twitter at Osama Dorias. My fellow Habibis were Rami Ismail, you can find on Twitter at T-H-A underscore Rami, and Fauzi Mesmar, who you can find on Twitter at Fauzi Mesmar. Send us your questions, stories, suggestions via info at thehabibis.com. Intro and outro music was provided by Malik Zubeda. And the logo was provided by Ibrahim Hamdi. The Habibis is a weekly podcast about three game developers drinking good Arab tea, with new episodes launching every Friday, inshallah. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcasting service, or check out thehabibis.com for more information. Thank you for listening, and salam alaikum.